Just Father, we, we ask that even during this time where the world is facing an immense challenge, mm. an immense crisis, we ask that, we, that you would show us by the power of your Holy Spirit opportunities. Yes, Lord. Opportunities to speak up against fear, to speak against worry, but to elevate the need for concern. To elevate the need for us to be aware of what is going on around us yes, but to reject fear and to mm. reject worry you so very clearly in your word teach us that fear is not something that we should embrace mm. that worry is not something that we ought to be doing as believers as followers of you who stand on your promises mm. and so as we lift all of these concerns before your throne this mm. evening father we're thinking about the the, the medical staff, yes, people who are in our community, Lord, we ask that even at this time, as they are poised for, for the worst, which statistics tells us still lies before us, mm. we ask that you would prepare our systems, prepare those bodies that are yes, going to Lord. need to be awake and yes, alive Lord, and be available and able to care for those who yes, need Lord, care. Jesus. Father, we pray even for a vaccine that you would hurry the day that we would be able to realize that we could have a vaccine that would be available mm. to to come up and to combat this virus yes, on a so practical true. sense father mm, yeah. father we pray even for for those who, are, who find themselves right now in poorer communities mm. who will really feel the brunt or and the severity of this virus mm. who don't have access to good health care who don't have the kind of access that many other South Africans enjoy of sanitation. Father, we ask right now that you would protect them. Yes, Father, we ask that you would presence yourself even then, during this time of crisis. And Father, now, mm -hmm. as we start to realign our focus, as we start to meditate and think on you, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present here with us. Yes, as we look at your word, as we think about and pray about your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your peace and your rest that you give that the world is unable to offer, we ask that you would minister to us, minister to us even this evening as we try and minister to each other. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. 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 Good evening everyone, I trust you are, you are all having a, a good Sunday evening, it's been quite a, quite a rough week um, with a lot of news that is constantly been changing and we've constantly needed to, to um, reassess where we are at, so it's been quite a, quite a rough week and um, we are going to remember our leaders in prayer um, as they plot and plan for what the next steps are going to be for our nation and even for our elders and our church leadership as we think about what our next steps are going to be in terms of leading PBC forward. So, so this evening we, we're going to actually continue from where we left off last week. Um, and last week we introduced our, our short series on influence and we did that by by uh, showing, filming two uh, short films which I want to suggest that you view 
yesterday. <laughs> Angie did share it on the group. I want to encourage you to have a look at them. And, and, and I also just want to say thank you to Angie and other Angie, to Adrian, to Lizzie, to Stephen, who did all the, the compiling for us, to Noah, to Luke, who did a lot of the direction and the writing for us, and to Judith as well for their efforts and sharing the expertise and putting that together. That was awesome for us to, to be a part of. So, so influence is, is the topic that we want to consider this evening. If you Google a definition for influence, while you're sitting there, you'll find a lot, of, a lot of definitions, but one of them will be that influence is defined as the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. Now, we have all at some point in time been influenced. And some of those influences have been positive and some of those influences have been negative. Equally, we have all at some point in time influenced someone or something positively or negatively. And in the short forms that we made, you could have seen and you will see those examples of both positive and negative influences playing themselves out. Now the one thing about influence that we have to remember is that with influence there is always a choice that you have. With regards to influence you can either say yes or you can say no. There's always an option for you to take. Now when we look at the Bible, when we consider scripture, there are many stories in the Bible where we see influence playing itself out, playing an important role in how people act or react. In fact, right from the very start in the Garden of Eden, we see how the snake comes and he uses his influence to affect the actions of Adam and Eve. And then when God chose Israel and he brought them to the promised land, he told them how they should live as a nation that served and loved God. And many of the laws that he gave them were for them to safeguard themselves against being influenced by the nations and the people who they would encounter. And we also have a number of occasions in the New Testament where influence is addressed. The first scripture that comes to my mind when I think about that is Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, which says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now this evening, I would like for us to look at a story in the Bible, which actually takes the form of a whole book. And we're going to look at the book of Amos. Now, it'd be awesome if you've got your Bible with you to break out your Bible, to dust it off. This morning, Craig, one of the, Craig's, one of the things that Craig shared with us is the value that we will find in now pulling out our Bibles that are printed on a real paper rather than the devices that we've gotten so used to, to using. And, and so for us to understand the story of Amos, we're actually going to have to use a bit of theology. Because the book of Amos is, 
admittedly not an easy book to read. And so as we look at very quickly this evening um, what the context of the prophet Amos was, we'll consider the time, the place, the people. We'll look at some of how Amos wrote those scriptures that we are reading today. And then we'll look at what we can learn um, from the story of Amos concerning influence for us today. Now as we do so, I just want to read a few short verses from the book of Amos, just from the first, from the first chapter. I'll read from chapter 1 and I'll read the first, the first four verses. It reads as follows, it says, The words of Amos, who was amongst the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. The Lord rose from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Now just reading that, it kind of, if you don't really understand what the background is or what's going on there, all of that just seems a bit confusing to us. So let's unpack a little bit about what's going on in the background here in the context of this book called Amos. So Amos, or Amos as the Hebrews would say, was a prophet from the period in the history of Israel called the Divided Kingdom period, when they had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. I have a picture here I'll show you in a minute. And it was the year 750 BC, so 750 years before Jesus was born. That was when the prophet Amos um, ministered to God's people. So a little bit of context of what was going on in the world in 750 BC. So in 750 BC, um, Rome and Carthage, Carthage is modern day Tunisia, um, those nations were being founded. They were, they were being established. Also around that time, Greece first started the Olympics in the 8th century. Right now we're talking about whether the Olympics are actually going to happen in two or three months' time. So it was around that time in the 8th century when the Greeks were first starting to put together the Olympics. Also in Greece around that time, the foundations for art and democracy were being laid the Romans were busy building roads all over and then further afield the Chinese and the Indian civilizations were busy establishing themselves on our African continent. The Nubian Empire around Egypt up at the top was being established and down here in the Cape, in Cape Town, Cape Town was still named Kuikai 
by the indigenous Khoikhoi people. Now the name Amos means burden. And he is described as one of the shepherds of Tekoa. Tekoa is a small town that actually still exists today. It is southeast of the, of the town of Bethlehem. And it currently is still small. If you Google it, I think they have about 3,800 residents in that town. Now, we don't know much about the prophet Amos, apart from what he actually says about himself in chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. And Amos actually insists that he is not a prophet by profession, but he rather calls himself a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. So he was this farmer, a simple farmer, who was entrusted with the task of carrying a divine message to the people of the northern kingdom. Now the book of Amos is written in roughly three sections. So the first section is made up of chapters 1 and 2. The second section is roughly chapters 3 to 6. And the third is of course the last few uh, chapters 7 to 9. And we'll focus actually a bit more on the first section. Um, because it, I think it relates a little bit more to what we want to focus on this evening. Now the first section is comprised, that's the first two chapters, is comprised of eight indictments or eight accusations or charges that start by focusing on the cities around Israel and begins to zero in on Israel. So this is a poorly drawn map that I drew with Eden's uh, wax crayons earlier on this afternoon. But as the prophet starts to describe and he starts to unpack these indictments, he starts with Damascus. So you'll see this year is the kingdom. There's the yellow on the bottom, which is the southern kingdom of Judah. And the green bit on the top there is the kingdom of Israel. So there was the, the divided kingdom with Judah on the, in the south and Israel in the north. And so as he starts to unpack, you read there in, in, in chapter 1, he starts to mention Damascus, which is up here. And then, he's, and then he mentions Gaza next. And then he mentions Tyre next. And then he goes on and he mentions Edom. And that follows um, on with Amon and Moab, and then finally he mentions Judah and Israel. So as Amon unpacks these cities and these towns that are surrounding um, Judah and Israel, you can see that he is starting to zone in on the middle bit that he really is wanting to focus on. And so as we read through the book of Amos and we start to unpack, we start to see that there's this circle, this method that Amos is using to zone in on what he really wants the people of God to focus in on, and that's where Judah and Israel are at. Now, what was the reason for all of this fuss? Why did he need to go about writing in this particular way? So, as we see on the map, there's the, there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, the conditions in the northern kingdom were such that the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And we, we kind of understand this because the north 
the northern kingdom hadn't seen war for a number of generations and they were right on a trade route and so in the northern kingdom the economy grew quite quickly and and so we see as the economy grew very quickly there were also along with more money coming in there was uh, financial scandals taking place up in the northern kingdom there was bribery and corruption even the judiciary was being corrupted and you couldn't at that time get justice in the courts without slipping a few bribes to the judges that sounds quite familiar to our context and so even as these things were starting to to happen up in the northern kingdom kingdom they were soon also into a seven-day week of trading because they could make more money that way and then this led to greed and the greed led to injustice and wealth and more wealth led to a tolerance of more sin so they even neglected their sabbath day and chose to trade on their sabbath day because of greed also what was happening in the northern kingdom was there was sexual permissiveness and it seems to have been the order of the day and apparently also there was alcohol consumption which rose quite sharply up in this northern kingdom now despite all of these things that were going on religion was surprisingly still very popular however it wasn't the religion of the fathers it was all kinds of new age religions and faiths that were starting to creep in not orthodox faiths but faith that had somehow been mixed up with pagan beliefs and behavior that was being imported from these towns and cities around God's town in the middle there and this was starting to have a negative influence on God's people in particular the religions around them were focused on the creation rather than the creator on mother nature rather than father God and there was this great concern around that time about the fertility of mother nature and so there were these fertility cults as we call them and these fertility cults were busy creeping in because they were related to greed and to prosperity and with these false religions and these cults the way that they would worship back then was to pay your temple tax and then have intercourse with the temple prostitute they had male prostitutes and female prostitutes so as to receive fertility over your lands and your prosperity this was some of the beliefs that were going on during the time of Amos's ministry now when I think about it in today's terms it kind of seems as though we are actually starting to see this being revived in a very subtle way now we see there's this narrative of mother nature's future being in our hands and our future being in her hands but I think that we should rather be thinking that both the earth's future and our future is in God's hands mm -hmm. and so coming back to the 
to the book, we see that there was this idolatry that led to an immorality amongst the people of Israel and Judah. And so the Lord called this farmer of sycamore figs and a shepherd to be a prophetic voice to this nation. And this, to summarize what Amos was basically saying to God's people is that he was saying to them, look at the world around us and remember what we were supposed to be to them. We were supposed to be a godly influence to these people. But instead of us showing them righteousness, they have now made us like them. In other words, we've allowed ourselves to be pressed into the mold of the world. And because we have, he says to God's people, we now will be a shame and that shame will be carried out to all people. Now, this is what's happening in the first section, I think in the first two chapters. Now, the second section is made up of three prophecies. And here Amos exposes the religious hypocrisy of Israel and its leaders. And I think what we could call Amos is calling out here is he's calling out fake news. Um, the first prophetic message that Amos uh, goes through is he goes through a list of things that God had used to discipline and to punish the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And he, and he says in, this section, in the second section here, he reminds them of the fact that God had sent them a food shortage in chapter 4 and verse 6. He reminds them that God had sent them a water shortage in chapter 4 and verse 7. He reminds them that God had sent them a crop disease in chapter 4 and verse 9. In chapter 4 and verse 10, he reminds them that God had sent them a pestilence. And through all of these reminders, there's this refrain that we see when we read through the book of Amos. It's, and the refrain is, yet you did not return to me. So he was saying, in God's voice, he was saying to the people, I sent you a food shortage, yet you did not return to me. I sent you a crop disease, yet you did not return to me. I sent you a water shortage, yet you did not return to me. Mm -hmm. And we see this refrain repeatedly. And when I think about this, and as I was reading through this earlier in the week, I wondered to myself, could it be possible that the Lord is sending us a message through this COVID-19 pandemic? And so as we return to the text here, we see that God's people had ignored him. And in amongst this comes the very well-known verse that we know, chapter 5 and verse 24, where he says, But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream, in response to how the wealthy and the privileged people were treating the marginalized people. And then the third section is just a lament that has two great woes that we read about in chapter 6. And the last two chapters, 7 to 9, are made up by five visions that Amos shares that are symbolic depictions of the day of the Lord. And then we see in chapter 9 and 11, we see a glimmer of hope. 
And God says that out of the ruins he will one day restore the house of David. In other words, he's going to bring the future messianic king from David's line. That's the book of Amos in a nutshell. So what do we learn about influence from the book of Amos? Or Amos? I want to highlight just three points very quickly. We're running out of time in terms of Instagram. Amos had a very heavy message. It wasn't an easy message to hear. Yet Amos did not run away from delivering it. Now it's difficult to positively influence someone with the message of the gospel if you practice social distancing for the wrong reason. Now social distancing in our context here in South Africa is not something that is new to us. I think that our communities and our societies, mm -hmm. even our churches, generally speaking, still carry the hurt that segregation and a certain kind of social distancing has caused. Mm. And so for us as a church, there's still lots that we need to do to bring healing into that space. But beyond that, we need to be careful that even now we don't form little cliques or little groups that make other people feel as though they are in quarantine. Mm -hmm. There is now, still now, an opportunity for us to reach out to others via social media, via Facebook, via Instagram, to message someone with greetings and with good news and with encouragement. The society that Amos lived in didn't want to hear the message that he had from God. And Amos knew that it wouldn't be well received but he didn't allow himself to be influenced by the little voice in his head that would fearfully have been saying don't do it they will reject you we as god's people have been given a prophetic message and a prophetic way of living to give people to a world that now as we reflect on the book of amos looks a lot like the time that amos ministered and this prophetic message that we have been given is called the gospel. Mm. And somehow the Holy Spirit creates for us opportunities to share this good news with our friends, mm. with our colleagues, with our families and strangers, even now. Mm. And right now, even during this coronavirus pandemic, people need to hear good news. Mm. Amen. And we have some good news to share. Yeah. Mm. And we should not be influenced by fear or by worry, but rather be concerned and trust and stand on the Lord's promises. Yeah. Secondly, Amos did not fall prey to the trend of spreading fake news, as I mentioned earlier. Amos could have compromised and said something like, as long as you keep celebrating all the feasts, all the festivals, and continue offering sacrifice to the Lord, and continue coming to the synagogue and on the Sabbath, then you'll be fine. But by doing that, he would have been covering up that the fact that all is not well on the inside, while the outside looks fine. Amos knew 
that the truth is that obedience is better than sacrifice. And I think our fake news today is that if you, can't, if you keep coming to church on a Sunday, and if you keep giving, and if you keep doing good works, then you'll be fine. But that's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that God wants to have relationship with us. And our hearts need to be undivided because obedience is better than yeah. sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams, as mm. it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. Mm. And the last point I want to make is that Amos didn't fear, although he was only a simple farmer. He wasn't a theologian. He, by his own admission, wasn't a great prophet. Mm. He didn't consider himself one. He knew that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Mm that God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. Mm. And so Amos could very easily have thought, I'm not clever enough, I don't know scripture well enough, but instead he allowed the Holy Spirit of God to use him and to work through him to influence people for the glory of God. Our attempts to influence people don't always need our conscious effort because we are always in fact exerting influence simply by being who we are by saying what we say and doing what we do the only real choice we have in the matter is whether or not the influence we exert is good or bad and so equally so in closing we need to be very careful of what influences we expose ourselves to and follow through on with action that may lead us away from God or we could find ourselves facing his judgment in the way that the people that Amos was ministering to were going to face. So influence is not as innocent as it seems. And so we must remind ourselves constantly that we are Christ's ambassadors and while God is making an appeal to us, he is also wanting us to make an appeal through him working through us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for this book of Amos. And even though it may be difficult for us to wade through, we thank you for your message of truth that fires through it like an arrow into the hearts of men. Father, we thank you that we could spend time just meditating on this a little bit. We thank you for this time that we could have spent worshipping you, mm. even in all our individual homes where we are. Mm. And we ask, Lord, that as we face this new week, that you would remind us of instances where we could still, even now, influence others. Mm. Because, Father, we eagerly desire to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.